Good afternoon, everybody. The H1B guy here, and today the H1B guy live, February 9th, 2022. We're going to cover a couple pieces of immigration legislation that's been put out very early on here in 2022. Uh, as well as a little bit more details on the H-1B lottery for 2023. Um, we are square in the middle of lottery season and still getting a lot of questions around the H-1B lottery. So want to take some time again today uh, to, uh, to talk about it a little bit more. And as always, we'll do a brief Q&A um, at the end of the discussion points today. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention the H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguide.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Pata Canada, the audio plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. And by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Well, here we are a little over a month into 2022, and when you start to look at February and how quickly it goes by, it's, it's really crazy that we're sitting here on February 9th. Um, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of chatter around immigration reform, um, both on the documented legal side, undocumented illegal side. Um, a lot of heightened conversations uh, around um, the green card backlog, around very um, uh, lengthy processing delays being experienced within USCIS, um, but also, you know, from an undocumented standpoint and border security and a lot of the crisis that's going on um, in our southern borders. You know, it's a, a really crazy time right now as, it, as we look at immigration we look at U.S. immigration as a whole, specifically uh, employment-based immigration. And so uh, a few weeks ago, the America's Compete Act was put out and uh, Compete Act, excuse me, was, was put out. And last Friday on February 4th, it was on the House floor and um, was uh, was actually passed um, I, I believe, I, I think the number was one or excuse me, 222 to 110, I believe was the vote. Um, I'll have to pull that up and uh, and, and reconfirm that. Um, but shortly after that, the, the president um, via the White House uh, put out a, a statement titled Statement from President Biden um, on House passage of the America Competes Act. Quote, the House took a crucial vote today for stronger supply chains and lower prices for more manufacturing and good manufacturing jobs right here in America, and for out-competing China and the rest of the world in the 21st century. I applaud Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Hoyer, Whip Clyburn, Chairwoman Johnson for their leadership in getting this done. 
Business and labor alike have praised this legislation as vital for continuing the economic momentum we've seen over the last year, and national security leaders from both parties have said that the investments in this bill are needed if we want to maintain our competitive edge globally. This bill was built on numerous bipartisan elements and on shared bipartisan agreement on the need to act. If House Republicans are serious about lowering prices, making our economy stronger, and competing with China for a position of strength, then they should come to the table and support this legislation, which does just that. I look forward to the House and Senate quickly coming together to find a path forward and putting a bill on my desk as soon as possible for signature. America can't afford to wait. So I thought that this was a, a pretty interesting statement from, from the president. And, you know, the president really, if we look at what went on last week, had a, had a pretty good week, politically speaking. Um, but anytime we see a, a pretty significant vote and, and, you know, honestly, a lot of bipartisan vote here um, around a, a bill that's $325 billion dollars. Um, in terms of its heft and cost, significant piece of legislation. So I'm not going to break down the bill in its context. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that have already done that, but but I will just give kind of a quick cliff notes as to what it does and and some some of my thoughts uh, around that. So you know, it creates a, a new visa for entrepreneurs in the form of the W1 visa for for founders, meaning business founders. Um, there's also a W-3. Uh, it looks like two different types of W-3s uh, for managers and executive leadership for startups, um, as well as a W-3, uh, which is work authorization for dependents. Um, this W visa is going to be considered dual intent and um, will be uh, having val validity for up to six years. Um, the dual intent component means that there, there is a path to permanent residency green card, um, and that would be available based on some metrics in place around business growth and uh, revenue total growth. So now we have a, a new visa to discuss, the W visa. Um, we've seen some mentions of new visas uh, over some previous pieces of legislation in the last few years. Um, but here we are, uh, uh, really an entirely new sort of visa um, from, from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, so the W-1 and the W-3. Um, the other thing that, that was really kind of another big point as it relates to employment-based immigration um, is this path to permanent residency for uh, PhD um, earners here in the U.S., specifically in STEM and medical fields. Um, so it, it looks like kind of reading through the language and just really breaking it down in as simple terms as I can, that um, individuals that would be in the EB1 category or even EB2 category um, that met this PhD in STEM or uh, specific medical fields um, would no longer be subject to the, the, the numerical country cap uh, limits, specifically in these fields. Um, so that's a, a pretty big piece of, of legislation when we start to look at, um, you know, opening up permanent pathways here, uh, new visa in terms of the W visa. Um, and, and then again, you know, really kind of a, a permanent residency pathway for PhD earners um, in STEM and, and medical here in the U.S. 
Um, so again, we'll we'll keep our uh, our eyes open for when this does come out in the Senate. Um, something a little bit similar has has already come up and and been voted on in the Senate. So it will be interesting to see how the language uh, possibly differs. Um, once it comes back to the Senate floor here, um, but the America's Competes Act uh, seems to be on a bit of a fast track here and could be uh, potentially the, the the first piece of, of legislation um, that we see that, that has immigration reform in, included in it for, uh, for 2022. I'd like to ask you, if, if you haven't already, to please like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Um, if you have questions or comments, please be sure to post those in the chat. Um, we'll definitely get to a Q&A um, towards the end of the session here today. Just wanted to thank everyone who's taken time here to join me this afternoon. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to, to stop in here. Um, the other piece of 2022 immigration reform um, comes to us from the uh, the Republican side um, of the, the the of Congress here, and uh, this was just released yesterday uh, via um, Congresswoman uh, Maria Elvira Salazar's website, and it's titled "It's a News Release Titled Congresswoman Salazar Introduces Dignity Act." Uh, and it goes on to say that uh, Congresswoman Salazar and uh, a group of her Republican House colleagues introduced a long-awaited Dignity Act, um, a complete immigration reform bill consisting of three core principles, stopping illegal immigration, providing a dignified solution for immigrants living in America, and strengthening the American workforce and economy. The Dignity Act is the only realistic solution proposed in Congress that fully secures the borders, reestablishes law and order in our immigration system, enacts a 10-year dignity program providing renewable legal status and offers an additional optional redemption path to permanent legalization. This reasonable and compassionate approach will finally fix an immigration system that has been broken for decades. The Dignity Act was written in consultation with American businesses, businesses leaders, agricultural and farming industries, the faith-based community, immigration reform groups, and border security experts. The Dignity Act provides a reasonable, compassionate, and complete solution to America's immigration crisis, and it does three primary things. Ends illegal immigration once and for all, gives dignity to people, to people living in the shadows, protects American workers, and saves American industries. So on that American workers and the economy, what it does is creates a fund for training and upskilling American workers, offers apprenticeships on the job training and higher education, uses funds paid by immigrants in the Dignity program. Every one participant in, the, in Dignity will train or retrain two American workers. It will save American industries by addressing labor shortages, supply chain issues, and inflation. So I thought this piece was really interesting. That's paying for the Dignity Act. And that is no taxpayer funds will be used to pay for the Dignity Act. The border infrastructure, improved ports of entry infrastructure, new asylum processing centers, increased personnel, and all other associated costs with this bill will be paid for by an immigration infrastructure levy. A 2% levy will be deducted from the paychecks of individuals given work authorization under the Dignity Program. These levies will be deposited into the Immigration Infrastructure Fund to be used to carry out the provisions of this act. Wow, so this uh, this thing is really interesting. 
Um, you know, Rep Salazar, I think, had gone on record last March of 2021 discussing the Dignity Act. So here we see a year, almost a little less than a year later, um, it finds its way into um, text form uh, and, uh, and and released for uh, for review. The Dignity Program is an interesting concept. Um, you know, if, if we kind of look at what that means, it definitely has a, a very large slant that's uh, that's focused around the undocumented. Um, but the program in and of itself, uh, you know, I, I think what, what it is, is it's, it's really something that um, kind of can have a, a more of an impact on this agricultural side, right? So we see the America Competes Act really looking in the supply chain sector. Um, this more on the agricultural side, but the funding that it's going to create, this whole reskill concept that we've been hearing so much about, um, you know, I think this is an interesting piece of legislation. Um, again, is it something to show, uh, you know, her her jurisdiction um, and her constituency, if you will, not jurisdiction, her constituency, you know, something, right? We start to look at that and, and what that means. Um, but I think it's interesting. We're really seeing these smaller bills, right? These standalone bills that are coming out that have little bits and pieces of text uh, from previous legislation we've seen. Uh, we could go back to the America's Children's Act is, is one of those. We've seen it in the House. Um, we've also seen it released in the Senate. Uh, but the thing that to me is interesting about, about this one is I, I don't know if it'll make its way to the floor or not, whereas the America Competes Act and, and what it has is, is moved pretty quickly. Um, so I think we'll see that at some point in the, in the very near future back in the Senate and on the Senate floor. Um, but we'll keep our eyes here on the, the Dignity Act. Again, this is a, um, a Republican piece of immigration reform. Um, the last Republican piece of immigration reform that, that I believe we covered uh, was from Mo Brooks, the rep from Alabama. Um, and, you know, we never really, that, that really never got out of committee and, and hasn't really gone anywhere. So we'll track this one and, and see what happens with it going forward um as well as as well as the america's children's act so wanted to um to move over again to the h1b lottery you know we're really just a matter of a few weeks away here and um you know a lot of moving parts going on there's a lot of folks still out there actively looking for sponsorship you know i'm getting reached out to numerous times a day for folks seeking sponsorship and, uh, you know, it's, it just goes to show you, again, how much in demand H-1B sponsorship is, how valuable it is, not only to employers, um, but to the individuals from all over the world that are, that are looking to come to the U.S. with work authorization. So here we are this year, the third iteration um, of the electronic uh, selection process and electronic portal process. Um, yeah, I've continued to estimate that we're probably looking at somewhere around 300,000 plus applicants that will go into the H-1B lottery um, for this year and, and, and 2022 for really next year's 2023 uh, fiscal year. Um, 
we saw last week some of the the information that that's come out about employers verifying the validity and that being a new step in the electronic uh, portal. So again, what are some things that we've learned? Well, we know that March first is is the first day, noon March first, and that it will run through March eighteenth. Uh, they've also gone on record, they meaning USCIS, and, and saying that then the, the upon being selected, the application period will begin April 1st and go for 90 days. So that's through June 30th. Uh, so that, that gives employers, for those that are selected, uh, you know, roughly three months, if you will, um, to get everything in order if, if it isn't already. Um of course, you know, the individuals have all the options right now. As many employers as they can have that are willing to submit their name into the portal can do so. However, employers can only submit individuals once. Um, so what's this created? It's created significant demand. It's also, you know, if you think about 300,000 names, $10 a piece, non-refundable, it's a significant revenue generator for USCIS. While it's also reduced uh, a lot of costs in, in terms of postage stamp returns. Uh, so, again, I think last year I missed the mark pretty badly when, you know, I predicted we'd probably be somewhere in the low 200,000s and, and we were well above 300. Um, I anticipate a very similar number again this year to be, you know, well above 300,000. Um, submissions within the the H-1B lottery this year. And so when we start to look at what that means, you know, 85,000 um, 85, slots, 300,000 individuals, you're looking at uh, 25 to, to 30% odds of being selected. This last year, we saw a very historic uh, third lottery held um, and we're still waiting on it to be finalized. And there's still being a possibility of a fourth lottery from last year's pool being held. Um, going back to the previous year, there were two lotteries held, a supplemental. There was an initial and a supplemental. Um, so I, I think that when we look at what does that mean for fiscal year 2023, I think it means that there will be an initial and most likely a supplemental. Uh, that supplemental most likely would be held uh, sometime mid-end of July, as we've seen that occur um, recently. So, again, you know, if, if you're still looking for an employer to, to sponsor you or if your employer is still considering sponsoring you, uh, you still have time. There's still time out there. Um to, uh, to, to get your name in that portal, to, to work very closely um, with a, a very skilled immigration attorney. Um, if we can help create any introductions here, um, or if your employer is interested in considering sponsorship, um, please let them know. I can, I can definitely guide them in, in the right direction if, if they need help in, in that regard. If you're looking to come to the U.S. on an H-1B visa and you have your name in the portal, um, you know, you're probably from a time frame. What are you looking at? If you're selected and approved, um, you know, probably looking at entering into the U.S. sometime mid late September, early October. Um, and the reason being is that the way the validity periods are working is it's it's October 1st of of the upcoming of upcoming October. So October 1st, 2022. 
Um, and depending on the approvals, you know, anywhere between 12 to 36 months in totality uh, would be the, the approval. Um, but if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to chat about today, please feel free to leave those in the chat. I um, really appreciate everyone who's taken time to, uh, to join me here this afternoon and to, to jump in here on this live stream. Um, wanted to thank our, our sponsors, Syndesis and Path to Canada, uh, as well as perm-ads.com uh, for helping bring this live stream to you. One thing is for sure, as we kind of reflect on where we are very early in 2022 in the legislation period, um, immigration seems to be a hot topic. Um, it's a hot topic on Twitter. It's a hot topic in the news. And it's a hot topic um, for employers alike who are really trying to solve um, their, their talent acquisition and talent strategy um, situations. You know, right now, candidates are in more demand than they've ever been. Um, so that's why it's so important for individuals that are that are in the green card backlog that are fighting for their rights. So they have freedom, right? Freedom to capitalize on the job market, freedom to pick their employer, freedom to decide who they work for and, and how much they're paid, right? Um, those are things that those are freedoms and liberties that aren't granted to individuals on an H-1B visa. Um, those are things that are dictated by a series of um, of applications, labor condition application, H-1B applications that um, really sort of predetermine everything for the individual. Um, so that's why when we start to look at, you know, a lot of this legislation that, that continues to ignore the root cause, which is, you know, the, the, the the per country quota on employment based uh, preferences for green cards. Um, that's where when we see these standalone bills, we have to wonder, you know, when is that issue going to be addressed? We've had opportunities for it previously. Um, we've we've heard it mentioned in multiple pieces of legislation last year. But you start to wonder, like, where's the Eagle Act, right? Where was that U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021? Um, these are pieces of legislation that uh, that that have not found the floors of, of of each of the chambers. So really interesting to see um, where this America's Competes Act goes, um, if and when the America's Children's Act, which we've covered multiple times, will come back around. Um, and then again, you know, a piece of legislation like the Dignity Act that really is more. Um, has an impact more around um, undocumented, but it does increase the workforce. It also has an impact on the agricultural sector where it has some changes to the H2A and H2B visa. Um, so again, you know, here we are roughly five weeks into 2022. We, we've seen multiple pieces of legislation surrounding immigration reform come around. So if you have any questions um, or comments you'd like for me to cover today, please uh, post those in the chat and we'll pull those up. Um, would like to thank everyone who's taken time to uh, to join the live stream here today. Really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to chat with you here today. Hey, Adrian, how are you? Thanks for joining me again today. Really appreciate that. Uh, Adrian says, hey, H-1B guy, I'm applying and I read in the instructions. If changing employers in the U.S., please continue to send us any additional pay stubs 
uh, you've received until filing. Yeah, that's correct. So one of the biggest things um, when you you do look to transfer your H-1B is the pay stubs. Um, they they show proof of uh, of employment, right? Um, so your question is, is, does that mean I can change my employer after April, after the lottery? No. Great question. So the, I have this rule of 30, okay? And the rule of 30 is this. If you are awarded a new H-1B visa and you are selected, approved, and it's under an employer and you really you want to change employers or go work for another employer, you know, after this approval, you actually would need to begin working for the employer who was selected and approved. Um, so let's say that you start working under this employer under H-1B starting on October 1st. I then would begin looking at creating that H-1B change of employer sometime in mid-November once you've had at least 30 days of payroll that you can provide pay stubs for. Even if in the past you were working for that employer under a different status, you need to be able to provide pay stubs under H-1B status. So I hope that answers your question, Adrian. If it doesn't, let me know if you have any follow-up questions around that. Hey, Yogesh, how are you doing today? Thanks for uh, joining me here this afternoon. Um, you've definitely been uh, um, a, a good uh, regular here on these live streams and just appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to, to jump in here today. Um, but, you know, Adrian asks a, a great question and it's a question that I get a lot, right? Like, hey, if I'm working for a current employer, and that current employer sponsors me in the H-1B lottery and they're selected. I'm selected for that employer, but I want to go work for another employer or I'm changing employers after I've been selected. Can I transfer that H-1B? And that answer is no. You have to work for the, the, the employer who is selected and improved. And again, my rule of 30, can you provide 30 days of pay stubs working under H-1B status. And again, this is a question I get in the comments a lot on um, a lot of my, my videos on YouTube. Um, it's also questions that I get via DM uh, a lot. And so uh, again, you can have multiple employers sponsor you, but the one that is selected, you have to begin working for them under H-1B status and do that on again, under my rule of 30, 30 days of pay stubs, um, under H-1B status before you could then run transfer. And so, listen, this is something that is very common. Um, it, it's something that's frequent, right? Because, you know, you're working for one employer, they sponsor you, but another employer wants to bring you on, is willing to do an H-1B transfer. Uh, this is something that happens a lot. And, and most of the time, what's the pursuit for the H-1B? Why are they looking to transfer? Well, it's responsibility, uh, it's compensation, it's green card sponsorship, right? Those are generally um, the three, the top three reasons that an H-1B visa holder looks to transfer or change employers. Uh, again, compensation, uh, green card sponsorship, and responsibility, so title. Hey, Prashant, how are you? Third time enrolled in the H-1B lottery. Hope this time my name gets selected. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Prashant, are you outside of the U.S.? I'm just curious. 
Um, but there are so many others like you, Prashant, who, you know, just want to get here to the U.S., want to work here in the U.S., have this desire um, to come pursue the opportunities available to you here. Um, and here you are, you know, third time. Now, the good news for the employers who have been sponsoring you is that they've only been out $10 and whatever legal fees they've they've paid their immigration attorney. Old school used to be several thousand dollars because the whole petition had to be prepared um, before it could be sent. And then what would happen is if you weren't selected, USCIS would send back the legal fee or the 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 filing fee check. It's pretty crazy or money order, however it was written. Um, but yeah, so you're in India, right? Uh, and, and that's that's the thing for you is. You know, international, um, looking to get into the U.S., you've got two ways to do it, right? You can do it via H-1B um, or L-1, depending on your situation, or you could come here as a student, try to get a U.S. master's, and then begin working under OPT-EAD, eventually then going back into the H-1B lottery. Uh, but the interesting thing about your situation, Prashant, uh, is it's not unique, and it's not unique because of the odds. Um, if we look at the odds over the last few years, it's been between 27 to, to 32 percent. So those are very low odds. If, if we start to think about what does that that mean for me as I'm competing against 300 plus thousand individuals for um, for 85,000 spots. Yogesh asked, what is the minimum wage levels for H-1B and hospitality occupation? Um I'm I'm not 100% on that Yogesh. If you, I would need to know a few things, and that'd be the um, uh, the the metropolitan statistical area, and then we could go in and look at um, the the SIC, the job code within that area um, to determine it. Uh, this is something that's a, a great question. Most of my experience with minimum wage levels for H1B is more so in STEM. Um, but I have seen some of these be a little bit lower. I don't want to speak out of context. Um, but if I had a little bit more information, I could do a little bit more research and potentially find out. Um, but that's a great question. A lot of that, again, is going to be determined based on the, um, the location. Hey, Sue Young, how are you? Thanks for joining. Uh, what percentage of ACE-1B master's cap can be selected? Just wanted to understand the general picture. Great question. So, you know, this is where the odds get a little um, interesting, right? Because 65,000 are for um, uh, foreign nationals, bachelors with uh, foreign national degrees, um, whereas Master's cap is 20,000 for folks that have come here and, and obtained a U.S. master's. Uh, I've seen this number be pretty high, to be honest with you. Um, I, I haven't looked at the actual numbers from last year, but percentage wise, I would say that this number of being selected is actually lower than the overall odds, which, which were 27 percent last year. I'd be willing to guess that you're probably somewhere around 18 to 20 percent odds of being selected, Sue Young, in the out of the 20,000 available under the H-1B master's cap. Great question, though. Um, and what does that show you? Literally a one in five chance of being selected. Um, if we go back to just 
even the conversation about about percent and you know 27 percent um you know he's he's hit their odds are a little higher being international because right there's 65,000 that are being designated um, I've heard a lot of chatter in the past around the possibility of having this master's cap number increased and increase in, in overall H-1B um, allocations. But what is interesting is when we start to look at the demand and how this ele the electronic portal shifted that demand, um, when we look at application rates for those selected, just, just looking at the data from last year's lottery, 70 plus percent response rate for the first, the initial selection little over 40% for the second selection. So we're definitely seeing a decrease as, as we weed out kind of the volume um, in that, that electronic uh, portal and, and the, the totality of the number. Uh, but again, I would estimate somewhere around 18 to 20% uh, without having the data in front of me. Adrian says, okay, that means that an employer can apply for my H-1B visa even before I start working for them, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, but they do have to have a few things uh, prepared um, before they can do so. Um, of course, they have to have a MyUSCIS account and they'll create one for you and, and there's a registration portal to it. Um, but yeah, that's correct. It, they're, they are saying that they want to hire you and they need to hire you and that they're willing to have a job for you as of October 1st, 2022, if that makes sense. Uh, just wanted to ask you again, if you haven't already, to please like this video and subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, we are coming up on our 3,000th subscriber. Uh, just so hard to believe and um, really grateful for all of you and all your support and helping this channel grow um, and continuing to bring out the message and, and do my best to help bring awareness um, to employment-based authorization, uh, discuss the ups and downs of what it's like here, um, and talk about what we can do here around the conversation um, to create better immigration policies here in the U.S. for high-skilled immigrants surrounding employment-based immigration benefits. So if you haven't already subscribed to this channel, please do so. I just really appreciate all of your support. Um, if you have any more questions or comments, I've got uh, roughly about eight more minutes here to take your questions and comments um, surrounding the H-1B visa bulletin, uh, surrounding the H-1B lottery, um, surrounding some of this legislation that that we've seen uh here in in 2022 uh including the america competes act including the the dignity act um so again thank you all for your support if you're looking for ways that you can support the h1b guy platform you can do so through the super chat function uh, as the live stream is going on here on youtube um, and you can also do so through the description of the video below um, or buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. If you're watching, uh, watching this or listening to this um, at a future uh, time. Again, thank you all for, uh, for taking the time to jump in here today and ask questions. Chandra asks, hi, <clears throat> I'm on H4, no EAD, not employed. Can I apply for H1B lottery if any employer is willing to sponsor me? Yes, you can. And I will tell you when I was doing H1B lottery cases, 
some of the best candidates, and this is predating the H4 EAD, um, which was put into place in May of 2015. Um, I processed a lot of H4 uh, cases for H1B because there were some really, really high-skilled uh, women um, that I was introduced to via their spouse um, that were very technical, um, but unfortunately didn't have work authorization. And my employer that I was working for at the time um, had a means to employ those types of individuals. And so I did a lot of sponsorship around H4s to H1s. So Chandra, yes, you can absolutely do that. Um, I think it's a good option for you and your spouse. Um, the reason why is it, it now gives both of you uh, work authorization, but it also gives you a little bit of flexibility, right? Um, you can you can go through that that employment based green card sponsorship, the perm labor process, individual, and um, you know ultimately from from there it gives you individual options and control. It also gives your spouse the individual option and control. So yeah, um, good good luck in doing that. Um, you know if I if you have any further questions around that, let me know. The hardest part in your question though is finding an employer who's willing to sponsor you. Um, so hopefully you have some skills that are transferable and uh, good luck. Adrian asks, can I clarify a bit more on the function of the pay stubs or are they needed for the filing or for maintaining H-1B status? So if you're currently working for them, they may request them if you're working for that employer in a different status, but they are ultimately for maintaining h1b status okay it's like the number one validation evidence um from uscis when they're they're processing the h1b application extension um, amendment uh, or change of employer that shows that you've been here working in the u.s under h1b status for employer xyz okay um, so that's why it's needed for for the transfer for filing if you're not currently working for them but they plan to employ you in or on october 1st of 2022 um, it may not be required so i would just work with their immigration attorney to make sure you understand um, what exactly you need to provide there'll be a list of documents that you'll need to provide and, and if pay stubs most likely it would be optional if you were selected and asked to submit a paper application So Young says, thank you. If I'm not selected for first round, then companies should file a petition for each round or is my file automatically enrolled in second or third rounds? Yes. Great question. Um, they do not need to resubmit you. So think of it like this. If 300,000 um, individual names are received via the electronic portal, those are the only 300,000 that are then eligible for the lottery for that fiscal year. So that's what we've run into if we look back on uh last year 2022 or currently in that fiscal year right we're currently in fiscal year 2022 and what happened is is an initial 85,000 were selected only 70% of those 85,000 responded thus leaving a, a a number available and then from there they held a second lottery or second selection those individuals were notified only 40% responded so then in November a third lottery was held 
Um, I've been anticipating that we should be hearing something around the possibility of a fourth lottery sometime coming up in March. Um, at once the new H1B lottery is, has been open. Um, so we'll see how that translates. Uh, it, it, again, I think a fourth H1B lottery for last year is possible just based on the response rates, but I don't know. Um, you know, I think anything is possible, but I do believe based on what we've seen now, the trends over the last two years that for this year, Sue Young, there will definitely be a initial selection and a second lottery most likely held towards the end of July. Chandra, absolutely happy to help you. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Connect with Mega says, if my name gets picked in H-1B lottery, how long will it take till visa stamping? Well, you've got to have an approval first. Um, and once you have that approval, then there's a validity to that approval, which would most likely be um, October 1st of 2022 if you're outside of the U.S. Um, so this is kind of the biggest issue right now was, is getting a stamping, what's a person, what's what's what what falls under the visa waiver program um but yeah you'd be watching those appointments like a hawk probably starting in uh june july or august even into september to try to get approval to have entry to, to come in in october um, but that's been the biggest challenge that we've seen kind of through this COVID era now that we've been living and working in going back to march of 2020 is uh, consulate appointment availability uh, specifically in india um, it's non-existent and I think that that's presented its own set of challenges for um, high-skilled immigrants currently in India trying to get here in the U.S. And not just India, but um, but mul multiple multiple countries are experiencing, um, you know, this sort of uh, uh, issue with consulate appointment availability. Um, and that's why you've seen some of the executive orders come down around um, waiving in person and accepting the visa waiver program. Um, as as an option. But I wanted to thank everyone who took time to drop me some questions in the chat. Adrian, Yogesh, uh, Prashant, uh, Chandra, Suyung, um, Mega, thank you all for, for your questions and your comments. I really appreciate it. Again, um, you can support the H1B guy via uh, the Super Chat function here on YouTube during this live stream. If you're watching this at a later date, you can do so through the description here below um, or buymeacoffee.com slash the H1B guy. I uh, wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Syndesis and Path to Canada are your answers. If you're interested in finding out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the description below, or you can find links also on the h1bguy.com. And someone from uh, the Syndesis or Path to Canada team will be in touch. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your cost and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. Again, just wanted to ask you again to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications. 
so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel or go live like we have here today on February 9th, 2022. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch my video or listen to this on the H1B Guide podcast. I really appreciate your support. I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy, and I'll be back with you next Wednesday again for another live stream. So please come join me. That'll be on February uh, 16th, probably around 2 o'clock again. The H1B Guy, your global source for all things H1B.